In today's episode, I'm joined by Alan Gingrich and Todd Kellum as we take a deep dive into the history of Autumn Oaks, the event where history is made. Stay tuned. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Welcome back, everybody, to the UKC Hunting Ops podcast. Uh, I'm Trevor Wade, the Coonhound Program Manager here, and I'm uh, joined, as usual, with Alan Gingrich, the Director of Hunting Ops. But today we have a special guest, Mr. Uh, Vice President of UKC, Todd Kellum. Guest. He's only, he's, <laughs> he's only special because we don't get to see him very often. He doesn't show no, up very often. Yeah, no, it seems like I'm a guest when I'm not coming to the office. <laughs> uh, we, got, we pulled him down from the north, from the oh, trout fishing yeah. streams, yeah. and got him here on the podcast today. Oh, it's, it's fun. It's good to be here. Yeah. Uh, we're, uh, we've been uh, touting this episode a little bit in the past episodes to talk a little bit about Autumn Oaks history. And, well, we have a bunch of good resources here in the office, obviously, uh, Coonhound Bloodlines dating back to the 70s, you know, at the, the very first event, Autumn Oaks events that we had. We have uh, the 25-year uh, golden book for the golden anniversary, and then obviously the, the centennial book that would, you guys put out at the 100-year mark for UKC a bunch of good resources for me to dive into and it's kind of taken up a bunch of time here the past couple of weeks trying to compile information on this but i think we have a lot of good stuff to go over yeah people are going to learn a lot of stuff today i think so um uh jumping right into the history of autumn oaks alan uh what was your first memories of autumn oaks did you you competed in it before you ever started working here is that right i did yeah i think my first one was probably one of the first times it came to richmond indiana so either 92 or 93 was my first year but yeah, I remember going there. We actually camped out the first night. My brother and I went there, and I think I was telling you about it a little bit before uh, we started recording here. But we used to have an old uh, uh, RV uh, that had a was cut off on the back like an RV van <laughs> type thing <laughs> yeah. that we used to go to all the beagle trials and and drove you know hunted with. It was our hunting truck, and we could sleep in that thing. But it had a you know cut off on the back. It had our box, dog boxes on the back. But that's what my brother and I slept in for one night. And we said, the heck with this crap. <laughs> Too many barking dogs for us. But that was our first first all. That was Brother Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started working here uh, in the mid-2000s. So that was a kind of a you, – you went to a bunch of them between there because I know you had a lot of success in this event leading yeah. up to that, right? Yeah. And I always liked that event. I couldn't – with my job, I couldn't go to very many uh, major events. I went to the Winter Classic several times, but it was hard for me to get off work. But Autumn Oaks only being, you know, three, four hours away from where I lived at, that was one I could breed always. Days. Yeah. in breed days, you know, so it was that one. And, and Autumn Oaks is the one, the two that I always tried to, to go to, you know, so. Yeah. And could get away, get away from work. I think, I think my first Autumn Oaks was before I worked here was, uh, what would that have been? 86. And I think that was um, Jasper. Oh. Is that a song? Is that? Trevor can fact check me, but no, uh, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> so that's Jasper and I, uh, no. I had a little plot dog, a young dog, and took her down and showed her. And I was hunting. Remember Larry Vordinger? Yeah. So I was hunting his old female, night champion female, and ah, that was, those are great memories, you know, getting in those convoys out there in the field. Larry's driving, I'm in the truck. Yeah. And I'm nervous, and oh, 
So that was 86. That was my first one. And then started here in 88. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned convoys. I don't, those were a thing of the past. You know, those were, that was a thing. It it was a huge effort on our part to get all those guys in lines going in the right direction. There weren't weren't even maps. Yeah. You know. Police shutting down roads, right? Well, if we needed, at least to get them off the ground. Yeah. But remember how those things would work? The front guy might only be going yeah. 50, but the back guy's going 80 to keep uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was a big part of it, trying to get everybody to their satellites. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of the opposite. I, I got to come to Automox just a couple times. I remember, I think 2016 would have been my first one I competed in. Uh, came down, brought two, I came up, brought two dogs. Uh, Friday night, we won our cast, but uh, missed the cutoff, I think, by 50. We were there Sunday morning. And it was uh, but, and then we lost our cast the other night with the, with the black and tan that I brought, but man, it was a good time. And, and coming to work there for the first time was such a huge difference because when you're competing, especially your first couple of times there, you're just a nervous wreck. It's, well, you're it's a ton of people. When you come onto those grounds, That's right? right. It like, is. I remember yeah. that. That was just, for me, we were, we were like, wow, this is the big time. <laughs> I Walk into that. the building with my head down to confirm my entry real quick and run back to the truck. <laughs> <laughs> And to see it come to life is something different. But uh, we're going to start from the very beginning of Autumn Oaks today and, and kind of go through uh, some of the high points of the years. And, and I'm glad that you guys are here to give some inside uh, uh, details on it because you've been to quite a few of them, both of you. Yeah. You know, it would have been really good to have some of those old guys that were really that were involved. There's still a couple of guys around like that, you yeah. know, that were involved early on. But uh, Trevor did a good job of going through the history of it and kind of give us a little outline to follow along. So yeah, that good. Be good. Yeah. So, so looking back in some of our old uh, uh, stuff that we have here to go through, uh, it looks like the, the idea of Autumn Oaks actually originated in 1957 at an old event called Kenton Nationals or Leafy Oaks otherwise, yeah. uh, an event that was uh, a lot different than the modern day Autumn Oaks, right? It was uh, mostly non-registered dogs and field trial was their main component as far as, and, and also like trading dogs, I believe was a lot. That, that happened was there. the main component. Yeah. Get a lot of people. And it was just an element that the UKC customers wanted to get away from and make it a more serious, you know, hunt. Yeah. That's one I never did go to. I didn't either. I always, I always kind of wanted to, but it was the same weekend. So I never was able to go. I remember my grandfather talking about it, but I thought I used to, at one time, I thought Leafy Oak was the Autumn Oaks, but it wasn't. It was the Canton National. Yeah. They called the Leafy Oak. At, at that first meeting, and I think we should highlight some of the instrumental people in making this event a thing. And I got a list of people that was listed in that uh, 50th year anniversary book. And one of the old Kunal uh, Bloodlines articles that was written uh, in the past, and, and that list included Robert Browning, Floyd Butler, Bryce Carnahan, Wayne Cox, Manfred Graver, Mark Decker, Roy D. Lauder, Robert Everett, Homer Hill, Jim Ingham, Walter Rowe, Emerson, Opadike, and uh, Dr. E.G. Furman himself uh, here from UKC. Yeah, he was the owner of UKC at that time. Manfred Manfred Craver is one you hear his name a lot. He is. He was involved with the first rules, I do believe. Redbone Redbone guy, wasn't he? Yeah, from uh, Mississippi. Was he from Mississippi? Remember that. I think Mississippi. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Robert Browning is a name I remember. He was a field rep at one time. Robert yep, yep, was. Yep. Uh, the other name that is on here that I recognize is Floyd Butler. And only reason I do is because in my office there, I have the uh, first field trial permit or the license for the very first UKC hunt in Ingraham, Illinois. And it has Floyd Butler's name on it. Wow. 
Hey, one other little fact he that, signed off that I remember it. hearing was that Manfred Craver, he had he supplied one of the dogs for the very first Red Fern Grows movies. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. And okay. it, I forget, he was registered here. I forget his name. Something Movie Land Cherry Dropper. Oh yeah, something like that. So that kind of a neat name. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of interesting. It looks like according to the the history that we have uh, is that these guys uh, kind of met at the Kenton National, uh, and uh, that's where it kind of the whole meeting took place, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. It says it happened right there at the Kenton Nationals and that they wanted to to put, to, they had an idea to put together an event that uh, was based on four basic components. And, and it's kind of interesting to read over some of these that they were uh, focused on and how it has compared to Automos uh, through the years. So they wanted an event, obviously, for UKC registered coonhounds. Uh, that was Kenton Nationals is not that. It was for uh, a lot of grade dogs, yeah. And yeah. even off-breed dogs that weren't even coonhounds. Yep. Uh, one that would uh, feature and highlight the new the newly implemented night hunt event. Um, obviously, field trials was the thing of the day back then, and the night hunts were relatively new on the scene. Yeah, you know, I mentioned 1957, the first licensed event, and it was only three years later they already have autumn oaks. Huh. That's I wouldn't have thought that if yeah. I, you know. Uh, the, the third uh, the third point here, an event that coon hunters could bring their whole family to and enjoy. Uh, that obviously that was not national. That was <laughs> <laughs> from probably, the stories I've heard. I know. That's him here. Probably leave the kids at home yeah. <laughs> and the wife too. Probably. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that the creation of Autumn Oaks and how it's progressed through the years, they absolutely uh, hit that point on the head because it has became sort of a family event and just a whole family reunion. Everybody gets there to see everybody, mm -hmm. and you see a ton of kids running around and enjoying the event. Probably um, still more so than any other event outside of the uh, breed. Oh, and I think it's because of the camping element, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the element that makes it Everybody like that reunion that it is. It's, yeah. yeah, and a multi-day event, you know. It's kind of ingenious to uh, incorporate into a holiday weekend where people have built-in days off already and they can yeah. make that their vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last thing, obviously, was to have an event that was run by UKC that offered uh, major prestige and also championship points towards UKC titles, yeah. which still rings true today. So after the meeting in 1957, just a, a couple years later, or a few years later there, in 1960 was when the first Automokes uh, happened, Putnam County Fairgrounds in Greencastle, Indiana. Yeah. And it's uh, you, you noted here they had uh, 204 entries, and at that time that was the largest UKC entry. I wouldn't have guessed. I, I yeah. forgot that number, but I wouldn't have guessed it was that high. Not that, but guess how much the entry fees were? Ten bucks. Five bucks. <laughs> Five bucks. Five bucks. Five and bucks for advance entries. Advance <laughs> entries. If you and if you didn't enter in advance, it cost you uh, two and a half more bucks. Seven fifty <laughs> for a walk up. Uh, <laughs> Looking at the uh, the schedule then was, was uh, a little bit different than how you would see it today where it's kind of the week leading up to the weekend. Um, then the hunt was on Saturday night. Then you had the bench show the full day on Sunday. And then it, it, on Monday, on Labor Day, was whenever the field trial was, which was probably a major component of the event then before yeah. they completely shifted focus to the night hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, that first winner of that very first one, obviously there's, uh, you know, the, the plot dog. Drum yep, or whatever. Yep. But yeah. Brandon Burger's dog. Yeah. Um, uh, Trevor's got in his notes here where he found that um, they had a bunch of spectators on that cast, like 20 spectators. And that was a big thing in the old days. Big name dogs usually came with a lot of spectators, didn't they? Yeah. Did you still see a lot of that when you were? I don't, I don't know, but I, I do remember whether it was a breed hunter, Autumn Oaks, people wanted to go see the Spring Creek Rocks yeah. and some of those dogs yeah. that came along. Yeah. yeah. 
When and I was the same way. There were grand nights that I wanted to go yeah. see. You know, you read about them and yeah, spectate with them. Yep. Yeah. In these days, right there, this is still early on in the night hunt uh, history. So there's not very many night champions, which Drum was. So it was one of the few night champion casts that weekend. So of course everybody wanted to see out there and see go out there and see the dogs that had actually achieved this title. Yeah. So some of the top dogs competing there in in those casts, and they had the people out there to look. Yeah. Um, fast forwarding a little bit to. If to, you ho- hang on just a second, sure. one one name we recognize that was a spectator on that cast was a young Fred Moran. You're saying that's yeah. <laughs> in the article, right. yeah. It, it mentioned Fred Moran by name, and it's hard yeah. to believe he's still out hunting today. Yeah. And he was at this first uh, first automotive, and he was and he's now in his mid eighties now, you yeah, know, and still coming. But that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Would have just been pretty young yet at that time hunting a dog named Magic. I think he's had several magics throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. So the the first couple of years were there in Greencastle, Indiana. For year three, they shifted to uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, right here in the, in their backyard for the third installment of Autumn Oaks. Um, and it was in 1962 where they dropped the field trial altogether, which was probably a major move at the time, and focused solely on the night hunts. I guess I forgot that I knew it was in Michigan a couple of times, like Coldwater, and but I forgot that one from Kalamazoo. Yeah, yeah at the fairgrounds. I'm assuming uh, probably. There's actually a couple of different location changes here that I think a lot of people aren't going to have any idea about. I surely didn't before I started digging into the history. Yeah. Um, so uh, in 1963, uh, for the fourth installment, it actually moved to Paducah, uh, Paducah Kentucky for the first time. Oh, yeah. um, and then 64, it went back to Greencastle, Indiana for the for uh, the first of 15 straight years it was in Greencastle. Yeah. Kind of became its home and they wanted to uh, kind of set it there. Greencastle um, held a lot of UKC events over the years. Sure has. Big events, world championships, breed events, autumn oaks. You got a good nucleus of clubs there, yeah. you know, to help and hunting's good. Yeah. Just ideal. You know, that's centrally where, located. That's where old Charlie Cundiff's from. Yeah. You know, Doug Cundiff, our field rep, his dad Charlie. Yeah. Is also a field rep. But if you notice Doug Cundiff still calls it the autumn oak. But that's how old Doug <laughs> used to always call it the autumn oak. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this this uh, first get year it right, in, Doug. <laughs> this first year back in Greencastle was the first time that they had a Grand Night Champion portion of the event. So I'm not sure when we. I guess I don't know. I'm not sure when that the history of that title came about. But this is the first event where it was offered in the hunt uh, to hunt in the in the Grand Night Champion cast. Um, who, who won that? 1963. That I do. Yes, 1963. The National winner would have been Grand Night Champion Deep River Mike James Merchant. That's kind of a uh, familiar name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we'll go over some of those old names. I looked at the list or checked it out the other day again, and it's uh, it's kind of cool to go see some of those names from way back. Well, you read about them all these years. Yeah. You know? yeah. Absolutely. We're definitely going to uh, hit on some of the older names of people yeah. that won this. And then 65, uh, or they changed it to a two night hunt. From, That's right. From just one to two. Two. A one one hunt ran over two nights, which uh-huh. is the same format that we used today, 57 years later. So yep. I guess I guess it worked out. Uh fast forward to 1967. That was whenever uh the first national Grand Knight champion was uh crowned and uh Grand Knight champions of breed were recognized. Uh so those that became instillments of the event and is the the yeah. one that everybody's shooting for when they yeah. go there. We're getting close, but it's still before my time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just uh, real quick, 1969, when the night hunt entry broke 500 for the first time. So from 200 in the first event there, just nine years prior, then we get up to over 500 entries in 1969. 
1969, they would have been uh, there in the middle of their run at Greencastle. So they're kind of uh, getting their, their bearings there in that location, I think, and probably seeing entries grow from, from just the uh, repetition of being there. Yeah, you know, we mentioned 200 entries in the very first one, so only five years later they've already more than doubled it. That had to be huge. Uh, 1970 would have been the first time that a, grand, a national grand champion title was uh, was crowned for the show, um, and the grand show champion class was held. Um, and in 1971, just a, a couple years after they broke 500, they broke 600 for the first time with 646 dogs entered in the two-night two night event. Mm-hmm. Um, 1976 here would be the first year for advanced entries, and I thought this one was kind of interesting. Uh, they had 535 pre-entries come in. They had no walk-ups then. They had to turn 120 entries away that came in late wow. after the posted deadline. <laughs> I would have yeah. been sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they stuck by their guns, though. They had to. I guess they had to make those changes to. I bet in those days people. they didn't wait till uh, the last well, couple of weeks to enter their dogs. <laughs> either. Right. Oh, and, the, and how did they even know about it? Only through the advertisements, right? Yeah. And you yeah. had to cut out your slip out of the magazine and mail it. And... I doubt they'd call in for to get an entry. <laughs> no, I bet you couldn't. Yeah. Imagine it got lost in the mail like we so often see today, and you drive all the way to uh, to Greencastle and find out they uh-huh. never got your entry yeah. in the mail. Yeah. You, there's no posted yeah. list beforehand. You know, there's no website to refer to. And then you get a letter back, didn't make it in. Yep. Uh, yeah. 1977, right here towards the end of the Greencastle run, uh, they actually set a max entry on the event at 555 or 550 entries, 275 a night. And for this year, they had to turn away 296 entries. Uh, so wow. setting that max entry kind of almost 300 entries they yeah. turn away. Figure wow. with that that max cap, they were people figured they had to get entered for it, regardless if they thought they were going to be able to make it or not. You think? Yeah. See that 275 entries a night was still a thing when I started. So that was kind yeah. of the. I think that's kind of where yeah. we started. Everybody else went on a wait list after that, and we would hunt that wait list. We've always, we've never not, we've never had to turn anybody away that I've been here. Yeah. Uh, but we had that, you know, just had a wait. Well, list. you got to keep it manageable, on. right? And I don't know what kind of manpower they had back then at those, you know, satellite clubs, but it had to be manageable. And there, there comes a point where there's only so much you can do. Absolutely. Well, not just that, but in those days, they were still using non-hunting judges, weren't oh, they? That's, that's probably can right. Can you imagine too. that? Yeah, I kind of doing the math there. See, uh, you're talking about, let's just say $300, talking about 75 Cast a knot mm-hmm. that you're trying to get non-hunting judges for. Jeez yeah. Louise. It's hard to get 75 hunting judges these days <laughs> yeah. from the pool that we have. Man. That's incredible. And then you, do you think that, I wonder what the quality looked like well, in terms of judges. You got, you know. If you when, read them, you were probably, <laughs> you were probably a candidate. Yeah, it probably wasn't, wasn't always good. Yeah. Uh, also, there in 1977, it said, uh, there was a note in there that for the fourth straight year, they broke the the bench show entry uh, record. This year was up to 237 bench show entries, and it took over uh, five and a half hours to conclude the show. So they uh, made the change to move to a two two day bench show the following year in 1978, yeah. which it still is today. Yeah. Um, but see. now it's two rings, two days. That's yeah. two rings. Because there, it became a time when we couldn't do, you know, a two day show would yeah. run all in. Yeah. Overlap the night on entry. Absolutely. So we're getting here close to where uh, Todd's first one came in, but uh, 1984 would have been the 25th anniversary event, which uh, looks like they put a lot of effort into. We have a lot of reading material here of information they put out that time. I've combed through the Coonhound Bloodlines uh, 25th anniversary edition and a lot of uh, neat stuff they went there. But one of the main things they did this year 
was after, uh, Todd, you alluded to it earlier, they had been to uh, Centerville, Michigan, uh, Cassopolis, Michigan, Coldwater, Michigan. Yep. And then in 82, they went to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is as far south as they've ever That's been. That's right. I remember that. And then in 83, they went up to Oak Harbor. Um, and they were kind of... Oak Harbor, Ohio. Oak Harbor, Ohio. And at this time was probably the most questionable time in Autumn Oaks history as far as getting entries in and reading some of the articles, they thought that a lot of it had to do with it moving so much around and not getting well-established in one area. And that's when in 1984 for the 25th anniversary, they moved it back to central Indiana, to Jasper, Indiana yeah. for the first of three years there. And they saw a real boom in their, in their interest. But if right I remember away. correctly, one of the reasons they left Greencastle was because it had been there so many years in a row and all these coon hunters are coming to town. There were starting to be some problems with guys just coming in and hunting spots where they knew because they've been taken there over the years and i, I, I can see that there was some, i remember hearing yeah. that there were some a few problems yeah i think you're spot on yeah but you, there's you have a note here that uh in 84 they talked about uh, you know um, moving it or keeping it in one place uh, that uh so it says talked about the event sort of faltering off due to ever-changing locations uh but history has kind of shown us for some of these events that have stayed stayed in the same place have tended to do better that way. Yeah. Grand American is one, you know, has been in Orangeburg forever. And Autumn Oaks, Winter Classic, are a couple of those others that have stayed at the same place. Southeastern Treen Walker days. Yep. In 1985, uh, the second year there in Jasper was ever the wait listed was first implemented. Uh, they would just take a, a maximum number of hunters of 250 each night. What year was that? Or, uh, 1985 was when the wait list was okay. first implemented. Yeah. Instead of turning them away, they created a wait list. That's right. They had the guides for them. They'd hunt them, I guess. Yeah. Then uh, the next note I have here is you, you went to Oak, Oak Harbor in 87 and 88, and 88 is when you came on board. Yeah, so right that home. was my first one was Oak Harbor. And I remember Dwayne and Kitty. Yeah. Groff, and yeah. They, were, they were major you know, contributors. I wonder why yeah. that location. That's a good place to have a lot of game there and everything, but that is up in the far north corner. Well, of it's Ohio. right on the lake, It right? is on so Lake Erie. So for one thing, you've only got one direction to go hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's good hunting. Very good. And um, I don't know. It's just a nice vacation area, too. I think people went early or stayed, and yeah. there was vacation stuff to do it's there. A, it's a very nice area. Cedar Point is right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and after the two years in Oak Arbor in 87 and 88 is whenever he shifted back to uh, Central Indiana again in 1989 to Logansport, Indiana. And I guess you had probably some hand in that, in that location change at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember all the details, but uh, yeah, that would have been important to get it back to its origin yeah. probably. Yeah. And, and yeah. Logansport. It did good at Logansport. Yeah. It really did. I, I remember all those, you know, people camping and, They'd, they'd leave right from Logansport and go straight up to Owen Sound yeah. to the, what was that one? Canadian, Canadian Autumn Open. On, you know, right. yeah. and kind of a knockoff everybody, of Autumn Oaks. Everybody would follow each other with their campers, go, yeah. you know, leave Autumn Oaks and go yeah. to Owen. Yeah, Logansport was actually, that was a big hunting community. Logansport, big club. Yeah. Just outside of Peru, there we, right. where we had our World Kunon Finals last couple of years. Curtis, Curtis Alburn was one of the main yeah, helpers he there. Yeah, he would be there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the top places in the country to host a coon hunt, in my opinion, just as far as available land and just the sheer number of hunters in that immediate area. Yeah. yeah. And not far from Richmond. Yeah. A couple hours from Richmond, to the west of Richmond. Yeah. yeah. 
This podcast is brought to you by the all-new Dogtra Pathfinder 2. Dogtra, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. Yeah, so in 1992 is whenever the the event finally shifted to Richmond, Indiana, which is where it still is today. Uh, you had some hand, I suppose, in, in choosing Richmond as that place. Do you remember anything about the thoughts that went into choosing Well, there? I think, again, it was a, we had a lot of satellite opportunities there, a bigger, cleaner, nicer fairgrounds. Um, the city was very welcoming. Uh, so it just a lot of pieces came together, and right. it just was a really good fit. Right. Was the Tom Raper Center there already at that time, or no. was that later? Nope, that was later. That came later. Mm -hmm. Did they even – was uh, I often see it referred to as the Wayne County Youth Center. Is that what it was called before it was the Coleman Center? Or is that no, so the youth, the Wayne County Youth Center, yeah, that's what they call the whole fair The whole facility. fair Okay. The whole facility, yeah. So the buildings had individual names, but it's, yeah, Wayne County Youth Centers, the grounds. Yeah. Okay. And the, the shift to Richmond, Indiana in 92 came with a couple other notes that I, that I pulled from that issue. And the first one I saw was it being the first advanced draw for Autumn Oaks, uh, which is how we still do it today. We, we take the pre-entries and draw them out in advance of the event. Yeah. You know what I remember about that? So a draw is one of the main components of the event. And, and we were strict about them, right? And for integrity and to keep it fair. So when we're going to do the draw here at the office, we would publish you know, the time, the date, and the time that the draw was going to take place. And anybody that wanted to watch it to make sure <laughs> we were being fair, they were welcome to come. And most years, there would be somebody here. Yeah, really. So a couple of people would show <laughs> yeah. up usually. And they'd sit on a chair over against the wall over there. And we did that until not that long ago. Yeah. It's only been six, seven, eight years. Yeah. And once it'd get, most years you'd have somebody. Yeah, you would. Sometimes up to eight, ten of them. <laughs> yeah. Takes maybe, what, an hour and a half. And, and and it wasn't like they could go up and go through the scorecards and no. see who drew who. They're just sitting back to make sure we're not putting labels, you know. But I think a lot of guys thought they would see who they I drew. think that's why they yeah. came too, probably. And my experience seeing people that came here, it was always somebody that – Never had the same ones coming back. No, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of a tedious process. <laughs> the word must never got out on how yes. boring it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, some notes for the Ben Show in 1992. Uh, the first pre-entry for Ben Show was was established. You know, with rising Ben Show entry numbers, probably made sense to get an idea of what the entries would be beforehand and kind of cut down on the the lines there for the entries of the Ben Show those mornings. And also, there was a note that the uh, first woman to ever judge Autumn Oaks was in 1992, Mary Wells. Yeah, we both know Mary from Michigan. Yeah, I know her well, but I would have never guessed that was the first woman bench show judge. Yeah, I yeah. would have never guessed that. And she's still judging she's today. She's a great judge. Yeah, still judging today. Jim and Mary, yeah. Vendors there for years and years and years. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think the, I'm going to say she judged for us the last time, maybe 10 years ago. 10, 11, 12 years yeah. ago since I've been here. Oh. She also, she was in other areas of confirmation too. Like yeah. I think they had German short airs. Remember talking to them about those. Dog, yeah. good dog people. Mm -hmm. I don't have a ton of notes through the 90s till we get here to the later part of the 90s and the early 2000s. Is there anything that stands out to you about the 90s that obviously it was, you're just getting acclimated to Richmond probably and probably starting to see numbers climb whenever I look at some of the numbers of the events. Yeah, and the thing that I remember most is, and you talk about finding a home for these events. Yeah. 
every year it gets easier because everybody knows where they need to be when just get a feel for how the grounds work, where everything, and it just got easier every year. Um, just clicked along. It was, it went great. Yeah. There's still people that camp there today at Richmond that it's hard telling how long they've had that same camping spot, yeah. you know, show up early and, you know, uh, uh, the black and tan guys there on the corner there with the uh, Ron, uh, what's his name, with the horns. Yeah. Always brings the Maggard. horns. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, just a lot of people still have always had the same spots. Yeah. Yeah. And and just reading through the articles, and man, I really enjoyed some of the, you know, the complete article write-ups after the event and, and detailing the event. Uh, in 1999, I saw you guys actually uh, awarded a name that's going to be familiar to a lot of people out there, and that's John Shelton. You gave him an award for being at all 40 Automokes up till that day. Um, and John Shelton, unfortunately, passed in October of 21, but even in the COVID year in 20 and in the tw uh, 2021 version of Automokes, John was there. He ended up making it to six, all 62 Automokes yeah. in his lifetime. Yeah. This one coming up will be the first one that he won't be there. And well, he was every, at all of them. Every opening comments, whether I was doing them or you, we would always stop in the middle of it and mm -hmm. say, is John Shelton here? <laughs> and he'd be yeah. right down there in front, raise his hand. Yep. Yeah. You know, the, the COVID year 1920, or, uh, 2020 was kind of an abbreviated version of it. And I didn't think he would show up. I didn't see him till, uh, what, just before draw out on Friday, he pops up in at the entry table and says, I'm here. <laughs> he, he actually called in advance of the event because we had put out a lot of uh, advertisements saying that it was closed to anybody who wasn't uh, participating in the event or a right. part of the event to cut down on the walk around crowd so we could stay inside the guidelines that were issued to us by the state. But uh, John called and said, well, I'm, I'm going to be there. So, and I was, okay, but he, he made it through the front gate and made it to the hunt table. So he yeah. made his way in. Yeah. He did no he, keeping him out. Well, he wasn't just someone who just attended. He he participated all those early years, yeah. you know. A Redbone man, right? John. Yeah, John yeah, was. Primarily. Was a Redbone man. And the other one we mentioned was uh, Fred Moran. I think between those two, they probably missed fewer than anybody else. Well, obviously, John didn't miss any, but I think yeah. uh, Fred's probably next in line. I know. And Fred is still hunting. I He's know, still entering amazing. dogs and hunts. Yeah. Mid-80s. I know there's some younger people right now that have started streaks of their own, and hopefully one day you can kind of catch up with uh, uh, Mr. Shelton and Moran, but that'll take yeah. a while. Yep. They yep. they really left their mark on, on this For event sure. and on the Coonhound world. Yeah. Uh, 2000, uh, something I found interesting about the year 2000 is that you guys received over 1,000 pre-entries for the first time and actually had to get the computer programmers to add that fourth digit in. Wow. I guess uh, being in Richmond and being established there, and like you're saying – becoming uh, familiar with the surroundings, the, the satellite clubs and people coming to that area is, is just growing the event by leaps and bounds at this time already. Yeah. Uh, and one note from the year 2005, I don't have a ton of notes here about the early 2000s either, but 2005, the event happened just directly after Hurricane Katrina was. I believe Hurricane Katrina started on August 23rd, and then you had the event there on Labor Day weekend just a couple, a couple weeks later. Um, would this be in your first automotive whenever this was happening in 2005? Yeah, it would have yeah, been. 2005 would have yeah, been. You guys doing uh, or helping with fundraiser. Obviously, a lot of the vendors and people there doing in. <laughs> I don't remember all your those first details. Your staff, yeah, staff right. person. Yeah, and, and I kind of forgot about that a little bit until he brought it up here, made note of it or whatever. But I do. We did some, we did some fundraising things there yeah. that year. Yep. 
every because article. it would have been a, just a month after, so it was just a you know it's still a you know had just happened basically. Yeah. Every every article in that issue in two thousand five alluded to Hurricane Katrina in at, in some capacity. Uh, just talking about obviously houndsmen are one of the first ones to band together anytime anybody has any issue for raising money or or giving support to that crowd. But also talking about how a lot of people from that area of the country down in Louisiana or maybe West Alabama areas uh, traveled to Autumn Oaks, even with some unknowns happening at their house from damages or power outages or different things and used it as kind of a release from reality for at least that weekend to come and enjoy a weekend with their friends. So, Alan, when you when you started in 2005, was Todd Morgan, he was on staff he at was, that point yeah, too, right? And yeah. he was working Autumn Oaks with yeah, us. Was he the yeah. He was primarily the one doing the draw, right? Is that who showed you the draw system? Yeah, it was. Todd did. Yeah. So. And uh, 2005, another another uh, adjustment to the hunt event in, in this year was the process of combining cast at satellite clubs whenever you had less than four show up. Obviously, you don't want to send out a one or two dog cast, and you made the changes that year to yeah, start that combining was, cast. That was kind of a big thing, and and I'm surprised to see it came up that early on. I didn't think it was that early on after I started, but yeah. You know, before that, if we had, we sent cast to satellite clubs, if they had, you know, some guys didn't want to drive, you know, yeah, drew they, a, a, you know, a satellite club that's a, a long distance away, they decided I'm not going there. They might have one or two dog casts. That's they just went out with one or two dog cats. It's hard to compete against. It was. Oh, and I remember as a competitor, I hated that. I <laughs> yeah. was like, man, come on, yeah. do something. <laughs> but I didn't realize we did it this quick. So what we mean by combining casts is when they get to the satellite and maybe only two of the four dogs show up in a cast, our field reps have the authority to uh, combine those dogs, put them in different casts there at that time. And Talking that of- just makes, a, makes it more fair across the levels of playing field, I guess, so to speak. Talking about satellite clubs a little bit, right now we have uh, Convoy, Ohio, Bryan, Indiana, Shelbyville, Indiana, and we recently just brought on Hartford City, so I know they don't have a pass of it. But are those three, Bryan, Convoy, Ohio, and uh, 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 sorry, Shelbyville, are those, have those been established satellite clubs for Autumn for a while? Oh, yeah. Shelbyville has Shelbyville for sure. And we used to use Greencastle all the time, and they've kind of helped us whenever we've needed them here even recently. Right. Uh, we used to have Marion. Which was the one straight south of Richmond that we used to use? That's Shelbyville. No, that's more west, isn't it? No, it's it's pretty much south. South, a little west, but it's... Uh, there was one that was more south that we got out of the, the terrain. There was. There was. What, what was, was that? that? Uh, Riders Ford or something? You start no, getting that's north. hills. That's north. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different terrain, and the, and the scores typically weren't as good. And there again, people would see that's where they drew, and they'd be like... Yeah. Uh, we used to use Marion, use Columbia City, which was oh. my club at the time. I remember yeah. when we did that. Um, that's that's why I always felt like I had a little bit of an advantage because I always got Muncie you. was another one we used. Yeah, whether there was a club there or just a group of guys that yeah pulled it together for us. Yeah, Convoy. I don't. Rem- I think we just added Convoy Ohio since I've been here. So that would have been in the time frame we're talking now. Early two thousands. You hear some moans and groans for somebody who has to drive to convoy sometimes, but if you go up there, you're guaranteed to be in some good hunting terrain. It is. The hunting there does not that's about as good as it gets, you know. We talk about hunting here as far as a lot of game on nights that they're moving anyway here in Michigan is is good, but it's uh in that area is hard to beat. Yeah. Hard to beat. Uh one recurring thing that I see over and over when I'm looking uh 
in, in the old records is uh, talking about the Breeder Showcase booths. Something that, that I was had never neat, seen. wasn't it? It was. When did that start? Yeah, I don't know when it started. Uh, the better question is, you know, why did it end? People just started setting up on the roads and stuff themselves because we would charge and you know a nominal fee. It wasn't a lot, but we started out with a tent. Remember, and we had everybody in one big tent there. Well, first of all, you haven't mentioned what the breeder showcase was. It was a showcase for stud dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stud dog guys is breeded kennels that raised a lot of puppies, whatever. Right. And we had always had a rule in there that there was no puppies allowed in the breeder showcase because we just didn't want it to turn into like the dog, you know, a glorified dog barn. Yeah. So and we wanted the booths to be look nice with banners and whatever props that they wanted to bring in. And, and they, they could did. have their stud dog. Yeah. And yeah, have the stud dog in there. And but we had it in a tent at first, and that was a few years worth. And then we moved it into the Raper Center. Tom Raper right? Center. And gave awards for the best booth, and yeah, people, yeah. people took it serious. And I, it was really, had I think some it really added, nice ones. Yeah, it added a lot to the event for sure. But then it just seemed like it just dwindled down because people took those ideas and displays and just ran with it and did it themselves out on the roads around the fairgrounds. From what I remember, the 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 biggest thing that I got after I became involved with was because they couldn't have their puppies there. A lot of those stud dog yeah. owners had puppies there to sell and they couldn't have them inside and but just the, back and forth we, yeah we touched on on the dog barns there for a minute yeah that was you know that was a thing that gosh that was a big draw and it also could be big problems right yeah. you know yeah. so man it was one of those yeah something you got to stay on top of and we yeah actually and that's why have, that's why yeah. the breeder showcase got that's how it got started with because guys wanted to move out of the dog barns yeah. and have a little well, nicer environment that is something I wish we would still have. It'd yeah. be nice to have if, a, a, a nice barn or a nice facility like that with nice setups like we used it to It was have good. Like and, and gosh, I can remember back in um, Logansport for sure, Greencastle, we used to keep the dog barn. And I remember Fred Miller sending me out there and he'd be like, now you got to make sure all these Walker dog guys stay in this aisle and the black and tan dogs <laughs> are over there in that aisle. And I was like, you know, it'd be a, there'd be a sign at the end of the barn that said, "Okay, this is where this breed goes." And oh man, that was that yeah. was a pain. Yeah. yeah. The reason I bring up the breeder showcase here is in 2006, it said you had upward of 50 booths there. I guess in the Raper Center at that time, but wow, yeah. 50 booths. Yeah. People set up with and all the big name stud kennels. dogs were out there, and it was nice to be able to go through there and just see them all. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next note I have here is for 2008, and. Todd, you alluded to this earlier, is when the bench show had to go to two rings. Yeah. Not only two days now, but two rings, just from the sheer numbers and just some long days for those judges. Yeah, I yeah. remember that at the in-house discussions on some of that. I remember all the, the planning oh, we had. Oh, can it be for, done or can it be yeah. done? I thought, I know I can, because yeah. I was announcing the shows then. And I, well, no, did you to begin with? Jessica Rand did him to begin with, I thought. Oh, she did it for a lot of years. Okay, so whoever, I'm like. It can, you, you can you do may it. have done it the yeah, first year, I'm but done. yeah, it's not that hard to keep up with. And people were patient. We knew there'd be some overlaps. There still are. Sure. You just deal with them. But it's it was man that cut our times. Ooh. Yeah, kind of came at a good time there in 2008 because the next year 2009 was the 50th anniversary of Automos and the the largest Automos to date as far as entry numbers go for the show and the hunt. Right. That was a fun year. Good, good thing you had two rings that year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some some different things you guys did that year. I, I read uh, you guys added a few different classes to the show. 
Uh, First time we had a Thursday show, I think. Oh, run confirmation? No, what we didn't do confirmation. We had uh, special shows like stud. Uh, bred, what was by, it? bred by uh, uh, Brood Bitch. What was it? Stud Dogs, oh, Brood yeah. Bitch, Generations, and yeah. those yeah. kind of classes. Who was who judged on that first Thursday? I did, I did. You know that was the fiftieth. That was the fiftieth, and Wayne Cavanaugh was the president at that time, so he judged. That's on, right. He judged Friday and Saturday, along with Doc. Uh, nope, Mark Threlfall. Oh, Mark. And then I did Thursday, so that was the first first time we had a Thursday show. But I remember I had two hundred and eleven entries, and that was too much for one person. <laughs> I felt like I was a young cat then, still, you know. But it was. That's a long, that's a long day and a yep. lot of dogs to look at. But do you remember the power went out that day? You remember mm -hmm. that? I think we had some rainstorms maybe. You do not remember that. It was kind of a drug out show. The power went out, I want to say for an hour or so there. Didn't we have a big trophy that was on a revolving pedestal? Yeah. It's the <laughs> one we still have in our hunt office. That yeah. one sits yeah. up there in our. Was or, it part of, I saw alluded to, a wall of history. Yes. I think it was part it was of that, that whole setup. nice display. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. It was yeah. a rotating, yeah, I think amazed. a rotating <laughs> stand it's set on. Yeah. You guys really pulled out all the stops that year to kind of honor the history of this event. And, and looking at some of the pictures, it was nice. Yeah, we had those little, remember those little booklets we made the 50th? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we oh, just gave those out or I what we did. Those I think, are nice. Yeah. And I think that's where you got that some of this information, the history. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. full of yeah. information. And also you guys had the huge banner of drum behind the stage up there. Right? Yeah. The first remember one. that? That was nice. I think it's the first year we had that pipe and drape behind the stage. Kind of, kind okay. of set all that stuff up. But yeah. remember I had that big poster of the, of drum, drum. the first yep. winter. Yeah. Plot hound. Yeah. yeah. Walk. I remember walking in. It was just, the automokes looked different that year. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just special. You guys also honored honored the past winners by having a parade of champions. Uh, Alan didn't remember too much about that. Todd, do you remember anything no, about I the don't, parade champions? No, I don't. Uh, but they, we, they do that other places too, haven't they? Yeah. Random Grand American or I think maybe, but I don't think I saw hunts. any of this. I think you would have you would have called those dogs through because I would have been yeah. in the hunt office and yeah. it happened out in the Raper Center at the at the show site. I'm just trying to remember where the idea comes from, but. Yeah, I remember doing them. Yeah, so I don't know how many of the dogs they would have had. They would... uh, the the article alluded to there being over thirty past winners present, obviously okay. in all different, you know, probably all different capacities yeah. of winners. But parade of champions different. or parade of winners was a bigger thing back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. People are proud of it. You know, yeah. that's you got to remember. You know what what they had to earn by competing with UKC yeah. and Anna almost is recognition. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's all part. That's how it plays into what rec if, recognizing what, people. What event did they have a parade of all the entries? Texas. Was yeah, Texas, I'm just trying to remember. There was or, maybe, but um, I can't remember. Or the Texas State Hunt or one of those where they would parade all of the entries on you know, on opening hunt? day or the opening ceremonies. I want to say there's like a couple hundred dogs. I I know. I'm yeah. drawing a blank on it too. Yeah. Still kind of do something similar to that for the top ten bench show where you. Uh, let each of them have their their moment to go around the ring and yeah. kind of give them their recognition for the year accomplishments. Obviously, the, the big thing about this 2009 year for the 50th anniversary was just the large crowds there, walk around crowds, the large entries, um, and some of the stuff that went into that. And uh, it was just a really good year for automotes. I I remember you could tell it was larger than oh, yeah. your normal automotes. Oh yeah, 50th. Is that the largest entry year? Yes, today. Yeah, yes. Today, yeah. yeah. 
1,038, I think, something like that. Quite a few. And then, obviously, Alan, you also had a different part uh, role that weekend. You were in your band yeah. performed, I saw that weekend. <laughs> His what? His band oh, performed that right. weekend. Remember that? Yeah. yeah well, we that been on Friday night, I we guess? We did on Friday night, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, see, who played on Saturday? Rod, uh, Rod's boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rod Carter. Yeah. His boy played. Yeah. No, that was fun, I remember. And then, just the next year, 2010, was a, a big year for Autumn Oaks. Uh, kind of getting into the newer generation whenever the Grand 16 format was implemented. I know uh, you had a ton to go into that, right, Alan, the, the Grand 16? Yeah, 2010. So before that, you know, we talked about the National Grand, awarding the National Grand Knight Champions of breed and the overall, and that was nothing more than their score. Yeah. You know, so big scores were a, a thing, you know, back then. And uh, we had this idea of, you know, maybe uh, a better way of, of getting to that. Uh, so that's where we implemented the Grand 16. Uh, take the top 16 scores, have all the Grand Knights hunt on the same night at Autumn Oaks, take the top 16 scores and put them back out in a championship, like an elimination style. thing. And that's what we still have today. I remember when I first brought that over to you and everything, and you were kind of, uh, you know, I remember one thing you told me, and it always stuck with me, and it's true. And it's something that we still need to think about today sometimes when you're making, make decisions uh that was changing something up from something that had been highly successful for yeah. so many years yeah you know now you want to change it up a little bit with this and you, you know you think kinda, it through, make yeah. sure you're thinking it through yeah. because right. it's absolutely you know, it's, but i remember uh we talked about it for a little while and then we called wayne and he was in canada at the time Oh, jeez. But I remember what that. he said. He said, why haven't you, why, why haven't you done it before now? <laughs> <laughs> but, and it worked. So, oh, yeah, it's been, it's been big. But I remember we used to have like 30 casts of Grand Knights leading up to that. And that first year already, it doubled. Yeah. And now we're still there. It's about, you know, about 60, about 55 to 60 casts of Grands uh, ever since we've done that. Just doubled that Grand category. Kind of loved it. Yeah. It kind of shifted the Grand Knights from hunting. Uh, I, I read a note there that a lot of them were always worried about hunting on Friday night because they were afraid the scores. Yeah, would you got to protect your score. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now they're all hunting should. on Friday night where yeah. they used to hunt on Saturday night. Yeah. yeah, and it took all of that away, you know. Um, and I remember that very first year, I, you know, scores was a big thing. You know, that cutoff score. I was very interested in seeing what that would be, and it was. It couldn't have been more perfect. It was. I want to say it was under four hundred that yeah, first year. 387 and a half. There you the go. So you, yeah. Sure. So you can't beat that. Nope. You know, if you can score that, you know, it's not just one coon, you know, a couple of coons, a respectable yeah. score, you're in. Yeah. And have a chance from there, it's elimination. Even so, yeah, today, right. uh, obviously, depending on the year and the entry and the weather and some different factors, but uh, a couple of coons will still get you in the Grand 16 even today. Mm -hmm. And that first year, the first year with the uh, Grand 16 format, the winner then, a familiar name for anyone, Grand Knight champion Hannah's feeling frisky. Uh, Trine Walker female owned by Mike Carmack and Brian Witted. And uh, according to the notes, right, Rick Stretch and Cody Sipe kind of uh, tag team handling duties that weekend, depending on the cast that they were on. Yeah. Yeah, she was the first one to win it under that new format like that. So that she was the overall winner, and then obviously also the Trine Walker breed winner. But uh, it was a good way to do it. And then the breed winners, we also, you know, they came from that format out of that. Right. If you're trying to contact UKC, don't wait on hold. Use the online chat feature on ukcdogs.com.
kind of getting into more modern day history here as far as automos goes in, in 2015 that's something that we, we probably don't know a ton about but uh is important to note i guess as the confirmation show came on board which was uh, kind of a resounding uh, success right off top. It looked like, you know, they anticipated, I think, something around 30 to 40 entries and ended up having in the 140s and had a show that lasted well into the night that night. Yeah. There were uh, people already, you know, crossing over and exhibiting in our all breed sports um, events. So we had, a you know, a pretty good base of people that were already familiar with it. And it's an additional title to earn. So and people like it. Yeah. Good. Good thing for the people coming for the show is for the hunt. You have multiple things. You 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 come for obviously you only get to hunt one time the weekend, but you have the slam series going on and different uh, things. To, at least if you're a show person, you have a couple different events you can enter there. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about Autumn Oaks. There's something going on starting Tuesday already. The warm up hunts, you know, just it's just a, a big week long thing. Yeah. Yep. People are going to come in early. Might as well give them something to do yeah. while they're there. And a, a way to hunt legally is an important exactly. thing. Exactly. And, you know, that's why the shows on Thursday, I think, work quite well. In a little there. different format, right? Yeah. You show them on the ground yeah. and changed up a little bit. Yeah, but we were way off in our, in our predictions <laughs> there. We guessed that <laughs> was know, a, 50 dogs and we ended well, up with The other 100. problem was we started it pretty late in the day, if I remember, like yeah. after lunch. And, right. and we had those many that many entries. It took a while. We were yeah. there late. Just one judge. Like after seven, years. wasn't it? Yeah, it was late. Yeah. We thought, ooh, we got to change that up. Yeah. Uh, 2015 was also the first year for the Grand Masters, Alan. I don't know if you want to touch on that any at all, but it had a pretty good uh, few-year run there. Yeah, the, the Grand Masters was kind of a uh, championship that uh, – or it was an invitation-type dog from dogs that uh, uh, came through the Super Slams that we had. were the higher entry events, and we advanced them to the Grand Masters is what we called it. And really, we, we didn't have the Grand Masters for a couple of years, but the TOC kind of uh-huh. took over its place is what it amounted to. I mean, obviously made some different changes to it, but that's kind of... Uh, same, same feel. Yeah, we need to keep that Grand Masters name in our pockets. That needs to be something <laughs> still. I always like that name. Uh, and then uh, fast forward to 2019, which would have been my first year on UKC. And uh, I, don't, I can't think of any real new changes that we had that year. Other than we just had the big announcement on Friday in the opening ceremonies of unveiling the tournament of champions for the first time to the oh, public. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was that was big. You know, we had some meetings up here. You know, and had everything in place for it. Um, you know, we were excited about it. But the one thing I remember did not know how the uh, audience would react. To it. Yeah, and and I still remember it. I'm just standing up there i felt so alone you guys all backed out <laughs> it was you know, quiet yeah it was very it was quiet very quiet very yeah. quiet you know and i'm especially after i uh, announced what the uh the total purse was total purse was was a yeah. uh, hundred and fifty or uh, two hundred thousand dollars i mean it was just quiet i'm like uh I didn't okay. know if they okay. Were they going to clap? What was going to happen? I don't think they did anything, did I'm, they? I'm not sure they. I think I, they were kind of stunned. Just you like, kind of heard some like some whispers in the crowd, like what is what did yeah. you just say? Did we miss something there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was 2019 Autumn Oaks. Yeah, and your first Autumn Oaks. Yeah, that ended up kind of in hindsight. Now that was a huge step forward for the company because the next year was the dreaded COVID year, and I don't want to get too far into uh. talking about COVID. It's at its glory and yeah, all this yeah. speculation already but uh auto or uh, tournament champions is uh, in the getting it released in 2019 for the 2020 year 
kind of really helped, really helped us out in, in the COVID year when they, all everything was real shut down and all the major events were shut down. Yeah, when it could have been just the opposite, could have really hurt us. But in fact, it, it was kind of a savior for us. Surely. It's yeah. what kept guys, really drove guys to to the events to get those five cast wins when they could. Uh, some good things came from the COVID year, obviously, uh, for for Automos in particular. You know, we had to kind of limit the size of the event to meet regulations. We had to uh, limit who was there. Only sponsors could be there. There were no paid vendors that came. That's right. Um, we didn't allow any walk-around traffic. Not like they would have had anything to really do there. There wasn't many vendors to shop. No real dog barn action. So basically just participants and sponsors and staff were there at that event. And it was kind of a, a smaller scale event in the in the wake of things, but it had to be. And that was a big decision for us. Oh, yeah. Had, it was a big deal. You know, and it had, what do we do? It couldn't, Automokes could not be what well, Automokes just politically is. around the whole country, it's almost like darned if you do, darned if you don't. Right. Well, you got people criticizing you for holding it or criticizing you for not yeah. holding it. Yeah. 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 So that was terrible. Some of the first meetings were to cancel the event altogether. And, it, yeah. you know, that's a tough pill to swallow for an event that had been going on for, what, 59, 60 years yeah. at that point. And I, 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 when people were asking for my opinion, even this smaller version is better than just completely doing away with a year of the history to the event. I'm glad that we did it. Looking yeah. back on it. Uh, same here. I was, that's what I was going to say. Looking back, I think we made the right decision. It was a, an abbreviated version. We still had hunts and shows but kind of limited it to those participants and that was yeah. about it. And it worked out well. It did. It did. Yeah. The, the local club always handled the kitchen duties there and they kind of, obviously they couldn't with the COVID restrictions that right. were in place. So we actually shifted all of our hunt stuff into the Coleman center and left the show for just uh, show stuff just in the Raper center. And we actually kept that and, and yeah. moved forward with it in the past couple of years. And it's actually worked out pretty well for the event. Yeah. I think that's the whole. first year we had a couple of food trucks there and we've kind yeah. of kept on with that. Yeah. yeah. It kind of worked out for the club too. They were kind of kind of didn't have enough help anymore, anyways. You know, yeah. so it kind of worked. Everything kind of worked out. This past year in 2021, you know, we st we're still seeing some effects in 2021, and even even now uh, from from the COVID year, especially in the on the vendor front, that was a tough year for those guys. They have a a lot of materials gearing up for a competition season there in the spring, and man, they're having to eat a lot of cost of materials. They're not getting to travel and sell things, and we're still seeing vendors that haven't recovered from that and making it mm -hmm. back to the event. So. It has a little bit of a different feel, but we've kept trucking along and we saw the entries come back pretty strong in 21, especially with the uh, allowing walk-ups for the, for the first time that year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and with the, with the walk-ups being allowed, uh, it's actually done away with our wait list here to this year. We're actually not, uh, anybody who pre-enters gets drawn to a cast and we're using walk-up entries to fill any holes from, from no shows. And it's actually worked out pretty well for us. We've, we've tried it at Winter Classic the past couple of years. This will be the first year we tried it at Autumn Oaks, but I think we've got it down path. Yeah, so. I think. And, and it's a good – I like that. Yeah. Don't have any, don't have the wait list anymore and just use the walk-ups for the wait list part of it. So it works pretty well. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about through the whole the whole timeline here of Autumn Oaks. Uh, obviously, Indiana is, is – when you think of Autumn Oaks, you think of Indiana. 53 years in Indiana and its history of the 63 years total. This year will be the 54th year in Indiana and the 63rd total for the event. Obviously went to Kentucky once, North Carolina once, and it's been here in, in Michigan four times along with Ohio three times. Um, but now I think it's time to go into a little bit of, of who some of the past winners were, uh, starting out with the night hunt and talk and give them some credit that they've earned for winning this prestigious event. Uh, so far, in this, there's been 62 autumn oaks winners. The breed breakdown, which I know everybody likes to always hear about the breed breakdown. There's been uh, six black and tans, 
nine blue ticks, 13 English, two plots, one red bone, and 31 tree and walkers, and uh, 47 males compared to 15 females. I thought that was kind of interesting, more lopsided than than most of our events as far as that. It is. Goes. Here, a couple of weeks ago, you and I talked about males versus female ratios and how even they have been, you know, in the old days, that was a, a thing where you saw more males maybe, but this ratio is uh, way lopsided. Yeah. And and something that's really uh, d- done this is that there's a couple really impressive streaks that are happening right now. 14 of the past 15 years, Tree and Walkers have won this event. <laughs> and 12 of 13 since the Grand 16 was implemented. Yeah. So they seem to kind of flourish in that three-cast yeah. uh, format. We p- talked about the very first one, a plot one, the very first one, and only have two in history. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of odd. Yeah. From. <laughs> Only one red bone. That was probably a hairy Omedian with music dog. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. And then 10 of the past 11 have been males, and that's kind of added to that, uh, to that, uh, the way that stacks up against one another there in the male versus female ratio. Yeah. And then you have some notes here on multi, multi dog winners, dogs that have won it more than, uh, more than once. And there's two of them that have won it twice. Mm-hmm. And one name that I didn't know until he looked it up in history. Old Spring Creek, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's on I, there I, I knew that one was. Yeah. Dwayne Clark. Dwayne Clark. 72 and 73. Yeah. Spring Creek Rock. I had a, I had a little Walker female. I had some rock breeding in her. Oh, I, yeah. I always followed him, you know, and paid yeah. attention to what he I like that dog. Yeah. And Dwayne was a great guy. Yeah. And then the other one is House's Mr. Clean. Ryan Witted, the only two dogs to win it. You know, the thing with Clean, he won it under the old format, just on based on score. Yeah. And then he came back two or three years later and wanted again under the new format, under that go. elimination format. Only dog to have done that under two different formats. Impressive. That's pretty cool, really. Yeah, it is. Done some really impressive things in his life. Yeah. That dog did. And then you were talking about multi-dog owners. We've actually had a couple owners that have won it multiple times, some with the same dog, some with different dogs. Um, just right from the beginning, uh, J.E. Staley. Now, I'm not familiar with him, obviously, from 61 and 62, won it with two different dogs, a dog named uh, Staley's Paducah Chief and one named Bali Lucky Girl. Not familiar with either of those, but uh, pretty impressive right off the rip and some major and some big events. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, we talked about Dwayne Clark and winning it twice with Spring, Spring Creek Rock there in multiple years. Back-to-back years. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, a buddy of uh, of yours, Alan, that uh, does a lot of our live show stuff, Steve Burkholder. Actually. Cowboy. Cowboy. <laughs> that's owned, uh, owned two Pee dogs. Cowboy. <laughs> He's got a bunch of different nicknames, but yeah. Uh, 2004 with Wild and Blue Lou and 2008 with Hard Knock and Big Mama. Yeah. co on both of those dogs. You know, we we've, uh, we give Steve credit here for uh, multiple uh, uh, multiple owner credits here, I guess. But he was actually like a second owner on both of those dogs. Well, okay, he didn't. He, he might have had the first. He was the first owner on Lou. But it wasn't him that actually handled the dog. It was Tyler Sturry. Tick oh, yeah. handled Lou that year and ended up winning it. And then the same thing with uh, Big Mama. It was Brian Hartram who was the first owner, and uh, Brian handled Mama there. So, yeah, we're kind of giving Steve the uh, credit here, but it, he actually didn't handle either dog. <laughs> <laughs> he handled plenty of them. Uh, he did, but yeah. He there did. goes all his credit. He, yeah, he right. he He's had I'm giving you credit yeah. still on Burgola. <laughs> uh, and then we have another one here, Mike Carmack, who's a member of the Liberty Club close by who always mm-hmm. helps with guiding duties. And he wanted in, or he was a, a co-owner on dogs that won in 2009, 2010, uh, Stylish Kate and 
Bill and Frisky we talked about later. Yep, there's two dogs, but there's an owner that's wanted under two different formats, the old and the new. Yep. Uh, Michael Thomas, who's uh, co-owners on a couple of these dogs with Brian Whitted, who we'll get to next, but Michael Thomas was a co-owner for Mr. Clean, who obviously won it twice, and then the handsome Big Easy dog uh, who won it in 2017. Yep. And then to get to Brian Whitted, who kind of went on an unprecedented streak in this event, won it five of eight years at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2010 with Frisky, won it a couple times with Mr. Clean that we talked about. Uh, 2015 with feeling big, and then the 2017 with the big easy dog. Just yeah. a, a crazy, unprecedented streak there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we've kind of combed over this uh, night hunt winners list, Alan and Todd. We just gave it to you before we sat down, so you didn't get to have you didn't have time to kind of go through it too much. But oh. man, what a what a list of who's who and and multiple breeds. It is this you, event. It is you forget you kind of forget well, unless you, you go look at the list. You yeah. know, and it, you're just reminded again. You know, obviously the first one, Dale Brandenburger, the plot guy, but then James Merchant, Laverne Miller. Laverne Miller is at the Tring Walker Association. It still has their sportsmanship award every year that they end out. Uh, the Laverne Miller Sportsmanship Award. Um, Miller's Joker. Uh, what was that other dog he had? It was directly off old uh, Sonny Boy. Um, Rock. Miller's mm-hmm. Rock. You know, mm-hmm. uh, influential guy in the in the whole Walker breed. John Monroe, Finley River. Yep. You know, some of these guys that have won it. Eugene Boyd, Dwayne Clark, we mentioned. Dave Dean, the blue tick guy. Um, hammer what? Uh, would have been hammer three. <laughs> hammer three? No, oh. hammer four. Yeah. Hammer four. Yeah, that was in uh, nineteen seventy four. Um, yeah, a lot. Of Russ Downing up in uh, uh, Wisconsin. Arnold Moore, Nubbin Moore, one of the yeah, field reps. Alabama Black Hank. Yeah, he won it. You know, and uh, Mike Rafe, who just passed away this last year from Indiana, uh, English English guy. Oh. Irvin Sutton. Rob Wallen's another one. Rob, so Rob wanted in 1992. You remember Rob yeah. uh, when he won the world hunt in in Elizabeth, Illinois, uh, with uh, uh, what was that female he won it with? But go back and look at the pictures of Rob here in 1992. He is literally just a kid. He was young <laughs> when he won the world championship, but yeah, 1992 he was just a kid. Jim Ridge, you know, just uh, a lot, a lot of those. Uh, uh, Ron Taylor, just a lot of big names. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Harry O'Meady and Tim mm-hmm. Whitaker, these guys uh, made big impacts on the breeding uh, history of their of their respected breeds. Yeah, you, know, you see a lot of these dogs and these names, and yeah, and a, a lot, lot of, of a lot of other big names. You know, folks can go onto our website, and we have a history of all the winners' dog names and owners, and and uh, go check them out. Absolutely. So now we'll kind of shift gears and talk about our bench show winners a little bit. Don't want to leave them out. They've actually had uh, in sixty two autumn oaks. They've had sixty three Autumn Oaks winners, and I had to go back and double-check that and see how that happened. But in 1970, there was actually a tie. Not sure how that works out in the show, but I don't know if they had a scoring system back then or what, or what but there was a tie then. Um, and, and the breed breakdown on this one was a little bit interesting to me. Uh, we'll go through it real quick. Six blue ticks, seven English, five plots, four red bones, 18 black and tans, and 23 walkers. Pretty impressive by the black and tan yeah. to, to do that. Um, and the, and the sex breakdown, 33 males and 30 females. So it's almost split down the middle. Um, looks like starting out, uh, females were on a hot streak at, at first. And I don't know what it was like then. Maybe people just showed more females and, and kept their males to hunt or something similar to that. Could but be. they females won eight of the first nine. 
and uh, they've been a little. And since uh, 2007, females have actually won 10 of the past 15, so they're kind of making their run on the males uh, there for that one. But uh, talk about some of the dogs that have won multi times. There's actually been four dogs that have won Automos multiple times, and a couple times in modern times. Uh, let's see, the first one would have been uh, Champion Lawrence's Black Jane, a black and tan owned by Robert Lawrence in 61 and 62. Uh, this is a familiar name for people. Uh, Table Rock Mundo Jr., owned by Junior Lasseter. Junior Lasseter. One yeah. in 83 and 85. And I know Junior wanted a couple more times as a handler, but these are the ones that he was listed as a as an owner on. Uh, 2014 and 2018, a dog named Margarita Lucky Old Son, owned by Joe and Deb Powers there in Ohio, won it. Black and tan. Yeah. And then uh, an English female named Wills Mountain Blackberry Jam, owned by Autumn and Amelia Beeland, won it in 15 and 16 in consecutive years. English female. Back to back, yeah. right? Um, and there's been some other people that have uh, have won it multiple times with different dogs. We talked about Robert Lawrence and Junior Lasseter, and obviously Joe Powers and the Beelands. But uh, also in that list is Melvin Atkinson, who won it in 1964 and 1974. Uh, so a ten year gap there, who won it with a dog named Mitzi and Jill. Uh, Bill Mack had a huge gap in the, the years that he won it, 1987, with a dog named Max Tree and Tony, and 2004 with a dog named Trips Nasty Black Haze. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, Dog Birdsall. Uh, who, Doc who, and Chirpy and Kathy, if you yeah, roll all yeah. those together, man, there's a there's yeah. some. A lot, adding up to a lot of them there. The, yeah. the two that he was listed on as owners was in 2000 with Doc Lair's Heir to the Throne, and then 2006 with Doc Lair's Tribute to Three Kings. And then just recently, uh, Natalie Atkins won it in 2019 in my first automobile with a dog she calls Wendy, the sec- the Red Eagle second wind dog. But she also won it back in 2003 with a dog named uh, Honest Abe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you, you had that a chance honest, to kind of look at That Honest it. Abe, I remember that dog. He was uh, – Ryan Sears owned that dog, I believe, in uh, that dog. I think Val Nelson might have ended up with him or he might have been a co-owner on it. But that dog placed in the – I want to say one its breed. at the Maybe it was the World Show or just got – or it, may, it might have been the same year at one Autumn Oaks, also placed in the top 20 of the world hunt. That dog impressive. did both. It was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, Good looking out. Same sort of thing when you're going about the, the list of the past bench show winners at this event, and it's an impressive, impressive list. Yeah, we mentioned uh, one of the forefathers of this whole Autumn Oaks, Manfred Craven, he, or uh, Manfred Craver. He wins the first. First ever bench show at all. Yeah. What was the dog's name? Uh, Movie Mo- Land Cherry Drop. There yeah, there you go. Drop, there. Redbone is. So he was right. Redbone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we had it right there available to us. Yeah. But yeah, other guys, Robert Browning mentioned him. He was also in there. He wanted in 68, I guess. But yeah, uh, a lot of other big names. Frank Dooley, obviously. One. Dale Prunny, you know, oh, he's yeah. kind of a. Ended later, up in Beagles. Ended up in Beagles, you know, but he's uh, he was a. Uh, White River Dogs. White River Dogs, yeah. Lee uh, Lee Kearns, Curtis Elburn, yeah, just uh, Don Vicky Hill mentioned uh, yeah. uh, Doc Birdsall, but yeah, yeah. So uh, now shifting gears a little bit to talk about the new the newer program we have there, the National Dual Championship, which uh, whenever you implemented in the uh, the confirmation show and got rid of the dual class. At Automoaks, is that when the National Dual Championship came to fruition a little bit? It it is. We used to have the dual class there, just in the regular bench show. If you were a dual, had a champion and a night hunt title, you were eligible for the dual class. But we made it it kind of a true dual championship now by requiring those dogs to hunt and show both. So it's as simple as you enter the hunt, and the first 
first round, or actually, you hunt against your own breed only. So uh, all black and tans hunt against black and tan duels, and and the same for and all the other on breeds. Thursday night that hunts on Thursday night, and then those cast winners, all the cast winners, regardless of breed, they advance to the show on the next day. First round in the show, they show against their own breed, and those seven breed winners come back, and you have one overall. And we actually uh, award a degree for it, dual national champion. Yep. Uh, to date, there's been four winners and uh, all four different breeds. Yeah. Bought the first year, Harold's Logan, Leopard the second year. You just talked about Curtis Elburn a little bit. He is a co-owner on this dog. Actually, his daughter, Andy Emery, won that one with the 50 Shades of Grey Leopard dog. Uh, David Gilman with Redneck Roll in 2020. And then just this past year, Michael Lester with his Easy Money dog. Yeah, four years and four breeds. Yeah, kind of interesting. Plot, leopard, black and tan. It was pretty well received. Yeah, people like it. It is. I kind of like the way it's set up to where you hunt against your breed and show against your breed, and then, you know, and then those breed winners go for the overall. And yeah, we'll have the same thing again this year. Another thing we'll have this year is the Slam series. Um, Is that that's a fairly new thing, right? I I was looking back in the records. The first one I saw was like 2007, or am I way off? No, No, that's probably it. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Yeah, I mean that's been a little while. Started out with Wayne County kind of doing a Thursday night slam before it became like an all week thing with Delaware jumping in in 2011. Delaware County, that and and Hannah's Creek down there at Mike Carmack's club. So it starts Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, something going on at Autumn Oaks all week except for Monday. Was that was a big part of it just trying to keep people from pleasure hunting without a license in that area? It was. You'd have people coming up there, you know, wanting to pleasure hunt a little bit or get their dogs acclimated and this having a licensed uh uh option. Yeah, yeah. event for them to do that really really worked out good for everybody involved. Really did. And yeah. this this past year was actually the highest entry we've had in those slam events for the week and we had yeah. a really really yeah. strong week for them. Yeah. Um let's see We've we've kind of went over a, a lot of the the programs that we talked about as we went, which is good. But one thing that we didn't touch on that I I saw a lot uh, mentioned in those articles was the bench show seminars that used to happen, um, and those were kind of a big deal. You'd see some big crowds there and a lot of good information passed on at those seminars. Right? Yeah, we had several back in the what was it two thousand around the fiftieth Autumn Oaks, I think. Is when yeah, started when Wayne, that. Yeah, Doc yep. Birdsell, and kind of involved in some of those and. And folks really like those, and I think we should probably look at having more of those. Autumn Oaks is a good place to do that. Yeah. Well, they were well attended. Yeah. I think, you know, as we progress with this podcast and then kind of our live streaming on YouTube, that it's possible venue for that too, to have different judges on or to talk about some particular stuff and use this platform for it as well. Hey, one thing we didn't uh, discuss or even really think about, and I haven't thought about it until it just kind of pops up here in my head, but what other events have been around longer than? Autumn Oaks, Grand American, probably the only one, Grand American, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I a couple know, by I, a couple of years. Yeah, night hunts sure. haven't been along much longer than right. Autumn Oaks has, so there's not <laughs> much room for winter <laughs> right, there. Right. Yeah, it's it's a special it's event. That's the for test sure. Of time. Yeah, it has. A lot of people have been a part of this event. You know, we're and it's a fun one for us to work on. You know, but I think uh, you know there's a. You and Todd Morgan had a whole lot to do with it throughout the years and before you guys, others as well, you know? That's right. I kind of wanted to close out by talking about some of the biggest changes that you've seen. Obviously, going back through some of the pictures of the past events, the biggest thing that stood out in my mind was just how people 
every hat, shirt, jacket you see is somebody's kennel or their stud dog, and they they just represented their dogs. And it was such a big deal back then. There's so much pride in your dog. And that's kind of shifted just, I guess, in the past decade, is it probably that we've seen that kind of stuff tail off a little bit? Maybe I know what you what you mean. Heck, I used to have them for my dogs. You know, you finished a dog a grand, those, you had your dog's name on your hat. Yeah, you know? it was those iron-on letters yeah. and. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those were great. But I don't. It's just know, society's changed in general that way. It's not just well. Not, instead of wearing it on your hat, everybody has a Facebook page. Right. Now, yeah. I guess I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's one of the big changes. That's the layouts changed a ton, right? The bench show used to be outside before the Raper Center came oh, in. Oh yeah. Right? Yep. Used to be out in that open arena there behind the two vendor barns. In between the yeah. Yeah. Used to be there. Yep. But it uh it works it works out. Uh and I think now with we're gonna have uh, uh just the show in the uh Tom Raper Center, just the show only, you know, and that's all that's gonna be in there and that'll open up more crating in there and everything else if we can use the Coolman Center for the for the hunt portion of it. Yeah, a lot of history with all of them. Oh yeah, a lot of history. Diving into some of the history, and why wouldn't I with some of the resources here? It's just been it's been a fun couple of weeks compiling information for this episode, and it really has me super excited for the event this year. It just makes you realize how much history and prestige and tradition goes into this event, and I'm really excited for the 2022 Autumn Oaks already. Thanks for doing all the research. Yeah, we've come a long ways ways from hauling their dogs, seeing dogs hauled into Autumn Oaks in their trunks of their cars to uh, <laughs> all the fancy vehicles and trucks and everything. Motor homes. Yeah. yeah. Dogs that cost more than their trucks do. These yeah. Days. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so uh, hopefully in the next couple uh, weeks, we'll probably get out uh, an episode talking about this year's Autumn Oaks, but I really wanted to dive into the history and the, I'm glad we had a chance to do it, and I appreciate Alan and Todd sitting down with me today and uh, talking about some of it. And I know that a lot of people listening are going to enjoy this episode, and they're going to learn a lot of stuff because I know I did. It's uh, It's got a lot of history behind it, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC Hunting Ops on Facebook and Instagram.